Welcome to Tracks, presented by Brian's Vinyl Records. I'm Brian. I'm Jay. And today we're talking about an album that had some pretty big shoes to fill and follow a smash debut from the Counting Crows, August and Everything After. That's right, we're talking about the second album, Recovering the Satellites. Jay, why are we talking about Recovering the Satellites? Oh, bro, why not, man? Like, this is the soundtrack to my undergraduate college years, dude. This came out in 1996, and this was when I had finally joined the alternative rock revolution. Um, (laughs) I had met the guys that I was going to be in the Holly Carbines with at the time, and uh, my buddy Matt Pettis really turned me on to the the Counting Crows through August and everything. After I had heard, like, Mr. Jones around here, Mm -hmm. but I didn't have the album. And when I met him in 1995, he was like, look, you got to listen to this record. And so I did, and I was like, oh, man, this this is... I loved it because he knew I was a big fan of like the Almond Brothers and the Eagles and R.E.M. And, and those are three of the many influences that you know permeate this band. And he said, you'll really dig the singer. I think you'll like this group. And so I did. I, I became a fan at that moment. And then when Recovering the Satellites came out, dude, I like bought the cassette immediately because uh, they have a CD player at the time. And I wore that thing out. I eventually did buy the CD. When the uh, the people down the hall would party too much out in front of my door, I would crank Angels of the Silences at them outside the door. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just like my go-to. I listened to this record forever. And we were kicking around like doing something from the 90s, you know, and talking about it after doing that REM record. And I said, I wish you'd do Recovering the Satellites because this holds a distinction for me as a music fan of being a sophomore album that I don't think not only lived up to the the uh, lofty heights of the first record but in a lot of ways man i think it surpassed it and for years adam durance and the guys in this band said this was their favorite record that they've done yeah. and it's hard not to see why i mean it's my favorite of theirs yeah and i think a lot of people feel the same way now for me this record wasn't one that was a lot on my radar right i knew august and everything after and then i kind of dropped out of the counting crows for a long time and it wasn't until hard candy came out believe it or not that i got back into them i I picked that up for some reason i think it was in a dollar bin or something at one of the stores i picked it up and thought oh i'll give this a try and it's become one of my favorite personally of the counting crows and then you when when we were uh talking about doing this you had mentioned that that uh, recovering the satellites is probably your favorite counting crows album and that i should give that a listen and so i bought the cd of that and you know here we are now gosh must be seven eight years later after that first conversation (laughs) and we're going to talk about it because you know i mean where does it hold its place right we're talking about an album in august and everything after that spawned what three four big hits for them and that album sold a ton right seven i think seven million records in the u.s alone and over 10 million worldwide i mean that's a huge hit so we talk about recovering the satellites here this is their sophomore effort and it sold 2 million records. Now, some people might think that's a letdown from 10 million, but 2 million records is a lot of records to sell. So you can't really mm-hmm. say that. And it also spawned a really big hit in Lawn December as well. So this one you know, may not have been as popular as August and Everything After, but when you have a smash like that, it's really difficult to follow up. And But I think they did a darn good job here. So we'll talk about that. You said this was released in 1996. It was produced by Gil Norton. And like I said, it hit number one on the Billboard charts in the U.S. and spawned three singles. The first one being Angels of the Silences. Then you got Alon December 
and then Daylight Fading were the three that made radio airplay. So that's pretty cool. And then, as I said, Double Platinum in the U.S. sold over 2 million copies, and I think it's close to 3 million worldwide. Yeah, I mean, just just a, a smash record. And I mean, to put that in perspective, like when, you, when your first album says 10 million copies, you're just hoping the next one sells 500,000. Like, that would be pretty good. Like, go yeah. look at, you know, Cracked Review from Hootie and the Blowfish is a good example of this. That that yeah. debut record, one, they spent their whole life writing it. They they played it for 12 years, they said. Yep. And that, that was a massive you know, album. And then they did Fairweather Johnson, which... You know, they all talk about like they they tried to make that album work, but it sucks. I'm not. I, I love oh. that album is terrible. We they, may have to do a tracks on that because I am going to vehemently deny that you said that, and I'm going to tell you that <laughs> if you go back and listen to it today, that album is fantastic, fantastic. So fair enough. I have not listened to that in a long time. You're right, but at the time I thought, oh, this album's not that good, right? I think a lot. And, of but people- then, yeah, but then like the second album for a lot of bands, it, you know, is it, it was hit or miss, you know. But Counting Crows came out with this thing, man, and I will talk about it when we talk about Angel of the Silences. But there was just something about this record that really hooked in with me and my group, and I think it's lasted for them in a long ways. And, and you know, there's tons of songs off of it that are still part of their live set to this day. You've oh, seen sure. them in concerts, so they still do these songs. Absolutely. And so uh, for those watching our YouTube channel, uh, the video podcast of this, which will come out after the audio but i do have the album on vinyl it is a reissue that they put out it's got gatefold it's just gorgeous and it sounds spectacular this is uh put out by david geffen records so uh, yeah that was awesome. i think the, jo- the joke about these guys that i always love when they signed their deal with with geffen it was so lucrative which is rare on a record deal you know usually you don't get any money that you make anything but they were like so sought after that people started calling them the accounting crows after they got that <laughs> and then that first record of course was huge and so i mean these guys had a lot of money and i think the other thing too that i've always appreciated about counting crows is when they finally hit brian they were older than the average band that was out mm-hmm. at the time they were all in their late 20s early 30s by this point they're all in their 30s and there was just a maturity to them that you could tell like these were not guys that were you know necessarily loking out on heroin on the side or something like they you know they probably partied a little bit here and there but these were people that kind of had they had families and they sort of had their stuff together and they were really all about being a tight and interesting band and adam would go write all these lyrics and write these melodies and bring it in and then that band would put together such cool compositions and i think that's one thing that i've always liked about him is that you know as much as adam jurance gets a lot of the the press and he's the front man and stuff like that he's not your typical rock and roll front man he's he's um he's very comfortable with the fact that he's a rock star and he's not like totally angry and pissed off about it all the time he's <laughs> sure. just comfortable about it and that's sort of the theme of this record it's like well now we've circled the stratosphere so what do we do well we just go back and do it again and, and I've, I've always appreciated the subtext of this record of being like you yeah, okay, so now we still got more stuff to say, and they just go about saying it. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know, I, I've always appreciated about Counting Crows was the maturity that came across in their album and in their music. Yeah, I would agree with you there, too. And, you know, Adam gets a lot of crap because of the yeah. way he sings, right, and the way he writes. And it's either you love it or you don't. It's all, it almost seems like that. And if you like it, you love it, right? You love that yeah. style and the the way he emotes his, his songs. So, yeah, I mean, you mentioned it before, you know, people go in there and they, they spend years playing the same songs over and over again. And when they finally get their break, they re- record those songs. And then 
two years, whatever, three years later, this in this case, it's three years after August and everything after, they are asked to go in and, and do another smash hit, right? It's not easy to do, you know, as a songwriter and, and me, that when you spend years writing songs and finally finding the ones that work and click to try and do it again in a shortened time frame not that yeah. easy and so just the fact that they were able to have a couple songs that made it really well on the radio and sell two million records i think is huge huge accomplishment and not easy to do yeah and i mean they took all of 1995 off basically for yeah. this. like they, they played two gigs in 95 adam went and wrote and wrote and wrote and we locked himself up in the Hollywood Hills as he said <laughs> and just wrote and the guys would come in and they would kind of jam and stuff started to come together and then they went and recorded this record in like two and a half months yeah. I mean, they went to the studio laid it out and it was done by March and they had that sucker out you know pretty quick so I was impressed with that I mean they had the first single out you know right before and then uh it came out in in uh, 1996 so I was impressed that they you know they they had toured forever and done all the August and everything after and then it was almost like they closed the book on that and went and did a, a what I think is a a fantastic follow-up yeah. So let's get into this here. We're going to start, uh, you know, as we do with all of our tracks episodes, we go track by track and give our comments on, you know, whatever we feel like the production, the the instrumentation, the lyrics, all that stuff, what our thoughts on the songs as a whole are. Uh, let's start with the opener, Catapult. Um, to me, this is an interesting opener, right? Because typically, and I think you, you and I both agree, you want to come out and hit them hard right at the beginning for a couple songs and then slow it down. And they come out with a nice slow jam uh, on this one to to start the album off to kind of set the stage i think well there's things you got to know about the county crows and i think that's that's a great way to say it is that they are not a hit you hard kind of band they are our sit you down kind of dim the lights make sure the meal's good for you and just kind of <laughs> ease you into the room and catapult is a collection of the stuff that they really were into you could tell at the time and what they wanted to influence this record it's a lot of almond brothers a lot of leonard skinner a lot of rem kind of thrown in a pile together and that's what catapult is it is a, a master of ceremonies introduction kind of song it's the cover letter to the resume if you will it is a stage set for here's what to come and you know a lot of adam's writing i think that's one of the things that my friend matt knew that, that i would dig about it it's that i've always appreciated is he writes almost poetry but it doesn't sound like poetry it's a song it's it's structured to be a song there's phrasing and all this stuff in it but it comes off just great whimsy in the words and yeah. catapult has a lot of that in it and i love it i i think it's a it's a great jumping off point because instead of coming out of the gate a thousand miles an hour at you, it's nope. Where have we been for the last year? We've been taking this slow ride and you're <laughs> about to get on and see what it was like for us. And I, I love this song. I really do. It's not mm -hmm. a single by any means. I think it's the kind of song that like would open a concert. And that's when I almost feel like this album is structured like a gig would be mm, for them. Okay. Is that this is a good opener to get you, get the mood set just right. Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I thought to myself, you know, this seems like an odd way to open an album, but I really dig what it's doing and the, and the vibe it's laying down. You, you mentioned Allman Brothers. It's got that Southern rock feel. And, you know, that's what I love also about the Counting Crows is, you know, they are put in that alternative rock genre. But their music is full of all sorts of different styles. I mean, yeah. they've got some blues on this album. They've got the Southern rock flair on this album. They've got, I mean, it's 
all there, right? And so I love that. And and yeah, this is definitely, you could definitely tell the influence of R.E.M. as well. I agree with that. And a great way to open this album. I just, I love the flow of that song. It's just right there. There's a lot of Pink Floyd and David Gilmore in there too, because I think Dan Vickery, the lead guitar player who had joined like right after August and everything after came out and stuff and was now a full-time member of the band, was a big Gilmore kind of guy. And you can you can hear it if you listen to a lot of David Gilmore and a lot of Pink Floyd. There's a lot of that in there too, particularly the way he plays versus the other players in the band. And that you know they change drummers now. And, and mm. I don't know, their sound just seems more full at this point. They got David Emmergluck who's doing production work, but is also playing just all kinds of random stuff. And now yeah. he's a full-time member of the band with them. So it's, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a real neat collection of instrumentation and stuff in this one song. I just think it's a cool opener. It's not a single, but it's neat. It fits yeah. the counting crows. And I'm, I'm glad you say that too, because when we get a couple more songs in here, I, that, that Pink Floyd layering is, is going to just play itself really well. And I, that's one of the things that as I listened to this over and over again uh, in prep for this that I just really, really enjoyed was discovering different layers that were in there that maybe you didn't hear the first time or the second time, but there all of a sudden it's like, oh, Oh, that was cool, you know, and, and they yeah. do that very well in this. So let's talk about the second song, which would have been the first single off this album, Angels of the Silences. Uh, to me, this is solid. I love this song. It's a rock, you know, up-tempo song. And it's one of my favorite, I think, of this album. And so I could see why they chose it to be a single, because I think it, it plays really well for radio, and it gets you moving, I think. I, I really like this song. Oh, man. Can I just tell you, like, I... I will put this song over at any time. I'm such a huge mark for this song. When it came out, when I first heard it, I was like, that sounds like the Counting Crows, but they don't do fast songs. <laughs> and then the radio was like, that's the new one from Counting Crows. And I was like, what? You know, like I was blown away. The ex out of Birmingham is playing this. And I'm like, what? And so I, I have, I love this. Song. It's my favorite Counting Crows song. All mm -hmm. right. It's not the best one on this record. We'll get to that uh -huh. later. But it's my favorite Counting Crow song. And I think part of it is because it is so different from anything else they ever did or would ever do. It is such a straightforward, yeah. through-the-wall, jamming 4-4 four -four rock song. It's just not what they do. It's got great guitars all through it, but everything in it works. And Adam's lyrics to this dude, like – the imagery is great. And I mean, what he's talking about is like, if I could just get over all the stupid stuff I've ever done in my life, it would, it would lead me to where I'm going. But come to find out all the stupid stuff I did actually led me to you. So maybe I should just go repeat that. <laughs> it's kind of like Groundhog Day. You know? yeah, yeah. And and I, I think that's kind of neat, all the imagery. In it. And I mean, you know, we're both Buffy and Angel fans. I used to think like this song would be good as like an overlay for some of that story and stuff. Cause it's very much that sort of tormented you know, guy with the past and all that stuff. I, I don't know. I've, I've always liked everything about this song. I love how it rises and falls and how it just keeps steady and pumping the whole way through. And uh, I don't know, man. And, and Vickery's guitar on this is just amazing. I, I love everything about the way he plays. The solo is perfect. And uh, I mean, it's a three and a half minute rock song. And it gets in and out, but there's so much happening in it as it's going. I, I absolutely love this song. I think it is mm -hmm. fantastic. I've seen him do it live a couple times. And, you know, that's a different experience lyrically when you get Adam live, uh, depending on what, what day he's in. But one time <laughs> yes. it, was, it, was, it was exactly like this, and the other time it was more like spoken word behind a rock song. Uh, but whatever. This this cut of it and on this record, this is a great song. And it it's perfectly bleeds from Catapult into this because Catapult yeah. ends with that just kind of little – 
hum and then you get that great feedback off a guitar amp and it just boom it's right right into it it. yep i I liked how they did that as well i thought that was really a neat fact i love when when bands do that and and kind of bleed the end of one song into the beginning of another when it works right and this Mm at this point it, it definitely works um into the next song daylight fading this was the third single of this album and i really another song i just really really like uh good up-tempo song really interesting kind of depressing lyrics but really enjoy what this song does so daylight fading is one that gets stuck in my head and, and so i enjoy this one as well i think what's so neat about it is when you get to the chorus when it should lift and it should be you know oh big it kind of goes quiet yeah and mm-hmm. everything kind of comes down a little bit, and then it comes back up for the verse. And that's an Eagles thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Listening to a lot of Eagles, they do that a lot. And I, I felt like I, – I mean, there's no proof of this. I'm just telling you my impression. But I always felt like this was Adam and the guys trying to write a Glenn Fry Don Henley kind of tune and and layer it the same way. And a lot of the guitar playing is very much the same way too. I mean, instead of being this real brash, heavy distortion, you know, they dial all the gain back. Everything's kind of clean. And again, the way that the verses are up and then the chorus kind of drops and it it's that sort of mid-tempo uh, melancholy, but without being totally slow and depressing. I, I love mm-hmm. it. I, and it's such a catchy tune too. Cause you, yeah. I mean, the lyrics in this are amazing. You know, like you listen to the chorus and it's like, God, this is, nobody talks like that. It's like, almost like <laughs> Dawson's Creek became a song. You know? <laughs> and, and I love that for it though, because it's what you want to say, but you don't have the eloquence to do. And yeah. I, I, this one I've, I've always appreciated about this. I mean, I mean talk about three great tunes to open up a record. Catapult is a good intro. Then you've got a kicker like Angel of the Silence. Daylight Fading is right up there with them. It's just a great section of songs, and mm-hmm. I love this song too. I think it's very fun. Yeah, I agree. And, yeah, I agree. And, and you, you know, nobody writes like Adam does. <laughs> I mean, he's, no. he's just it's interesting. I would love to just pick his brain sometime and see how he comes up with certain things, but uh, that's another conversation. Uh, we move on to track four. This one's called "I'm Not Sleeping." For this one, I really like how it really builds and builds and builds. Uh, it climbs to the chorus and I like that. I think it's really cool. The chorus is a little interesting. The one, two, three, four, five thing was kind of like, well, I didn't know if I care for that, but otherwise I really liked how it was done. The only thing in this song that I didn't like at all was the guitar solo. I thought it was just disjointed and which maybe was what they wanted, but I just didn't like it. I thought it was out of place from it. You know, I think what I wanted was the melodic kind of solo because we've been set up for that in the first three songs. Mm -hmm. And then that's what Dan Vickery likes to do is just take a left turn at Albuquerque for no reason (laughs) other than just to do it. He does. And that's, I mean, part of that is kind of some of that blind faith and cream and a little bit of Floyd, though, not so much. Um, But you know, Thin Lizzy and uh, even a little bit of Skinner kind of influence for him. It's just to, to go against the grain, against the melody and not even have counter melody, but just really kind of break against the, what you would expect for the solo. The builds of this song are what make it cool. Cause mm-hmm. it's almost like riding a wave, Yes, you know? And, and I, I sort of felt like that's what insomnia feels like. And at the time, <laughs> I mean, at this point in my life, I suffered from insomnia for like 20 years. So this was my insomnia song. I was like, this is what it's like at three o'clock in the morning when I can't sleep. And so this is just what it feels like. It's everything's dark and kind of weird, but there's this sort of orangey blue tint on everything. And, you know, it's not quite day. It's not quite night. Nobody else is up but me. So Mm -hmm. 
you just notice things differently. It's like a nighttime thing. It's almost, um, I don't know. I, I've always felt like some of these songs come off like uh, Shakespeare uh, meditations in some ways too. And I think that's sort of, sort of what this one does. And you know, it, it's not as catchy as these first three songs, particularly the last two, but I kind of am glad to have the break. It's a nice interlude. Mm-hmm. It's very fuzzy. And I think that's cool. And I, I don't know. I think it's a cool song. It's definitely one that hits you in a place you don't expect. And I, I think that's maybe why I appreciate it. I don't love it. It's not one of my favorite ones on the record, but I wouldn't say, like it's totally skippable either. No, I think no. it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's good yeah. too. And and like for the for the solo they kind of just go in a different direction altogether with the song too. They don't even play the main riff. They play yeah. something completely different, do the solo and then come back. So it's kind of like they had this riff and this thought, well, let's just throw it in the middle of the song. You can solo <laughs> over it, right? I don't yeah. know. But yeah, I agree. This song I think it's a good song. I would definitely not just skip over it. I think it's it's good. We go to side two of record one, if you're following along here, folks. Uh, this is Goodnight Elizabeth. Love this song. I think it's a great wow. song. Um, the guitars in this, uh, mm-hmm. this is where those layers, those Pink Floyd-like layers come in, and they, they just are just, they add so much to this song. And on top of that, you got these just great lyrics of a guy who's looking for his girl and hoping she's having a good night and, and just wanting to say good night before he goes to bed. I mean, it's just a beautiful song, and I really like this. I've always read this as this is a guy that wishes he could tell his significant other good night, but he's on the road. You know, that, he's, that he's, could very he's well be touring. too, yeah. I, or, it, sounds to me, it sounds to me like she's the one who's out, right? And maybe, and she maybe she's be. the one on the road, and he's just wishing that he she she were home to good night to. But and um, maybe that's it. Yeah, I, I I love this. This song is a lullaby, and I've always called it a hollow lullaby because it's in the drums, dude. The way that they tune the drums in this, there's just this deep thud to them and it leaves this sense of like this real wide open room where you're at a place where maybe you go with your your significant other all the time but instead of it being really packed it's like empty almost mm-hmm. and it, it reflects how empty you feel there's an emptiness and like a a melancholy and sadness to this song without being like dramatic about it that, that's the thing i appreciate about this song is it it doesn't totally overindulge itself. Now, you know, people that are critics of Adam Duritz, this is a song they'll point to and go like, yeah, this is just meowing all over it like a cat. And <laughs> that's just how the dude sings. Like just yeah. get over that or don't. Yeah. I love this. I think it's a beautiful tune. Um, it's definitely a, it's definitely time for the ballad, you know, cause I'm yeah, like, yeah. Well, we, we got to get the ballad. It's counting crows. <laughs> uh, so like it, it was time for it and it's a really good place for it, but I think it's a really well-written song too. It's very sweet and there's nothing, it's it's more of a uh, instead of being angry about oh you're not here or I'm not there or whatever it's more of a statement of fact and I think that again that when I talk about maturity of the band this is that band that understands like yeah hey, we can't always be together this is what that's like and here you go you know yeah yeah no I agree I just a, a lovely tune and like I said the the layer guitars and and what he's yeah. doing in the in the background it just really adds to the 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 feeling of the song and, and, and makes it more powerful, I think. So props on that for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, Next song we have is children in bloom. I thought this was a good song. You want to talk about fuzzy guitars and we got that (laughs) at the beginning here. Um, But to me, what makes this song really good is that baseline. That baseline just kicks ass. It's so cool. And I really enjoyed that. 
you just brought up one of my favorite things about this band at the time, and he's no longer with the band, but Matt Malley was a bass player that from that era, I used to tell people, I'm like, if you want to play bass in a rock and roll band, that's what you, you should either sound like him or Mike Mills from, from REM because and they're different players, but Malley does so much cool stuff on a bass mm-hmm. and his, out the way he layers underneath Dave Bryson and, and Dan Vickery, the guitar players, and locks into the rhythm with the drummer and Charlie on the on the organ and everything, is it's integral and it drives the song. This is a this is a weird kind of song for me, mm, man, because yeah. it's one of those again where these guys, I think, like they're leaning heavy into the Floyd and some of the other psychedelic rock that they were into from the '70s, and they and they want to do some of the Jimi Hendrix experience kind of stuff. There's a lot of that in this, and it's I mean it's a fuzzy kind of bumpy song but it's cool and, and just the same and like I, i've seen versions of it where they strip this down and it doesn't have quite the same effect it's mm. uh, this song really works in this moment as this kind of little piece of frenzy that's just about to go out of control but isn't quite there but i'm glad you called it the baseline because the baseline is what makes this song worth it i mean it's yeah. definitely good Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was definitely my favorite bass line of this album, and it was just I love listening to that when you when you can hear the bass cut through everything else and just play yeah. this really neat, you know, riff in there. Mm, love it. Mm-hmm. All right, closing out disc number one, we have the song "Have You Seen Me Lately," and I think the highlight of this song for me is the keys. I really love the keyboards in this, the piano playing and and everything in there. I just think it. It really is cool. And there's keys in a lot of the songs that they do on this album, but here they really stand out, I think. Yeah, Adam plays a lot of piano, but Charlie Gillingham is the guy that's really behind the Hammond B3 organ stuff and a lot of the keyboards and everything like that. And this is his moment to shine because it's him doing an Allman Brothers thing or and, and a little bit of Edgar Winter and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just this. And, and well, Stevie Wonder, that's also what's layered up in this song. And I love that this song is all about being famous and somebody trying to act like <laughs> you're not famous and you're going, really? <laughs> I mean, it's like, it, it's a diss track and you listen to it. It really is. Um, and it's also about like, yes, I'm super famous. I also just want to order at my Arby's or whatever. Yep. You know, like it's, it's just, I just want to be me. Mm-hmm. But yes, have you seen me lately? I'm a big deal now. It's okay. I'm still just me. And I appreciate the theme of that layered in with, again, what I think is, and you talk about a cool guitar work. I, I love what Vickery and Bryson do on this. I think that it's some of their best playing together on the record. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's another good time. So we're talking disc one or, you know, the first seven tracks on this. Not a bad one in the bunch, I think. that Just no. a fantastic start to this album. And, you know, I'm going to admit to you that I don't listen to this one enough, right? I don't, I, I'm not as familiar as like you are with this album. And so when, when I listen to it uh, multiple times in prep for this, I just thought to myself why (laughs) why am i not listening to this because when i'm going to listen to the counting crows lately it's been grabbing august and everything after or the latest one somewhere under wonderland i really enjoy that one and i i forget this one and it's it's a shame because it's just really good so far so let's move into disc number two and we've got miller's angels an an interesting tune this is a very bluesy ballad song um Mm -hmm. i i really enjoyed that about it so again like we said we're mixing all these different genres in and now we've got this really cool bluesy riff going on and it gives you that you know stevie ray vaughn ish you know type ballad and i really enjoyed that about this song i'm not as big on the lyrics of this one per se they're not hitting me as well as some of the other ones but i did like the the instrumentation on this 
Yeah, the lyrics on the back half of the record, I'll I'll go ahead and admit now, like they, they kind of take a little bit of a drop because we've had seven really great ones in a row. So there's there's bound to be something that's not as great as some of the other stuff. The instrumentation though, and the music on the back seven songs, I think is where these guys get really fun. Mm -hmm. And they start doing a lot of stuff. And this is co-written with Dan Vickery. He got co-writing credit on it because he created the whole riff and everything. And what he brought to the band was that bluesy rock influence, that Stevie mm -hmm. Ray Vaughan, a lot of Hendrix, a lot of David Gilmore, you know, all that kind of stuff. You can hear it in his playing. And a lot of Springsteen. There's a lot of Springsteen you know, in this. This is it's almost like a Springsteen song. And I think it's, uh, you know, it's supposed to be, I don't know, some sort of meditation on Chaucer or something. I don't know. Adam sometimes <laughs> in his own world. Um, just recovering its own satellite. I I don't I don't the lyrics in this one don't really mean anything to me. I'm more hung up on the melody and how it counters off of that music. And mm -hmm. I think it's a cool song. Is it as strong as like the openers on the last side? No, not not at all. But as a good like linchpin middle piece to the record, I think it totally works. Sure. Uh, because I mean, really, at this point, you've had like this is like your second slow song or ballad song. Uh, in a row and you're going to get more of those in the back end but I, I think this one leads us into what i got to tell you man is what i think is an underrated track coming up interesting so we're going to talk about another horse dreamers blues not a blues song by the way if you ask <laughs> <No>. me <I'm, laughs> i was like wait a second no <laughs> uh, i thought it was funny it was titled a blues song but whatever I i'm interested to hear your thoughts on this one because i i think this is my least favorite on this album I implore you to go back and give it a listen just on its own. I think because it's on this record and there's so many other songs that are stronger than it, it doesn't have a chance to stand out. But it's a good, what I call, B-side. I mean, it is the perfect B-side, and it's a good slowdown and kind of, let's tamp the brakes. And everybody just, again, you imagine this album as a gig, and we're in the middle now. So everybody's hot and sweaty, and they've had a good time. And <laughs> we kind of bring it down a little bit, y'all. It's, it's couple skate, you know? I mean, that's that's what's happening here in this. And I love this. I love the lyrics of this. It is beautiful words, man. And he sings the hell out of it. And I give this one another try as a... No. Again, it's, it's something that's just different for this record and is a, a good kind of underrated little gem hiding in this pile. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely will. And now t tell me a little bit of what this uh, – maybe I'm not hearing this correctly, but it sounds like this girl has to go do things she doesn't like to do. And while she's doing it, she's dreaming of riding her horses, right, just to get yeah. out of that that life. So maybe we're talking about a prostitute, for example, or – uh, an escort or something like that that is doing what she has to do to get by but she just wishes she didn't have to could also be talking about somebody that's working a straight job when they'd rather they be doing it, something sure. else yeah, yeah. where they don't want to grind you know they, but they're having to do it because that's life and you know at some point you can't just ride the horse anymore you got to do something else so i yeah. i don't I, you know what is it about i think it's, you know up to a lot of interpretation i'm sure adam's told a lot of stories about it through the years i've never bothered to read any of them because i like just sort of the open tapestry of it sure. because i think again it's like a it's like a nighttime painting sort of happening in front of me. I, I don't know. I just, I, this song is very picturesque to me. And so give it another run. Cause I think it's worth, worth uh, giving another shot for. I, I'm a big fan of this one. All right. We're moving on to the title track, recovering the satellites. I love the wah-wahs in this, uh, the guitar wahs, <laughs> great stuff. You know, we, we, we laugh about Kirk Hammett and his wah-wahs, but when a wah-wah is used right and good, it sounds yes. awesome. And in here it's used right and it's used well. And I can see why they decided to use this as the title track. I actually really like this tune a lot. It's not only like that, it's like a rotoscope 
too. They've got, I don't know if they even <laughs> yeah. got one of the old Laney or out or not, or if they just had the effect pedal. But I, yeah, I, I think it's cool. I mean, it's um, I almost wonder like why this wasn't where Catapult was, and and maybe this was written first, and then they were like, oh, but then they wrote Catapult, and they're like, yeah, it's actually better to put that in front of angels than instead of hmm. this. But I've I've even played with it before, where you just you know you can rearrange your own playlist, throw recovering in, and throw angels after it, and see what it feels like. It's it's a different feel, but it's kind of cool, okay. and I don't I think it's a cool song i mean i i think it's another good introduction to things and to me this is the introduction to the final act of the play that we're about to get we're about to build up to some a pretty big end in, in my mm-hmm. opinion and and they needed something to lynch from I, I like this song it's another one that i call almost underrated because nobody ever talks about it because it's just the title track and it wasn't a single and you know it's not sure. not a big deal it's it, it's you're buried on the album really it's tracked in you know so it's just there but it's another good one, and it's a good follow-up to Horse Dreamers Blues and and things like uh, you know Goodnight Elizabeth and stuff like that. It's in that same vein. Yeah, no, I agree, and I I agree. I think this is just a fun, fantastic song. Like I said, that wah wah pedal just brings me in right there, and it, it's, it's good. So well it's, done. You're right. When that is well done, it is perfect. It's mm. just it, I have a the only effect I hate more is the talk box, uh, but the wah wah <laughs> oh, I, I will give credence to because I think it works well. So, I like, but it, too many people use it too often, and and it yeah. takes the novelty away. But yeah, here it works well. We go to track number four. I believe that we are on. Let's see here. If I look at my album here, yep, we're on the final side of the second disc. Monkey is the song. I didn't write enough notes on here, so I'm trying to remember exactly what this is but i did write that i liked it it was a decent tune and i wrote down the line monkey where have you been <laughs> yes yeah, it's, it's just kind of a mid-tempo little thing and i think that was like was like his nickname or pet name for his girlfriend at the time or something like that <laughs> I, i've heard him say that kind of stuff <laughs> um and and you know i mean whatever people call each other all kinds of stuff i i mean it's fine like i'll be honest with you like i don't think about this song that much it's one that if i'm just playing this and i'm not really you know, trying to listen to it for you know, these purposes, I'm liable to skip it. it. There's nothing wrong with it. It just doesn't feel as mm-hmm. strong as everything else that's come before it. So I'm like, yeah, it's fine. I'm not really interested in hearing that. And I think part of that is I know what's coming at track 13 and I really just want to get there. Mm-hmm. And so I, I skip it to get to it. It's fine. It's just not uh, special to me in any way. Yeah. And I, I think that's why I don't have many notes on it as well. Right. Decent tune, but yeah, skippable Mercury. Slide acoustic guitar, baby. Yeah, Allman Brothers, baby. Oh, That's loved what this is. it. Loved it. Yep. Yeah, Good this song. is this, this is total Allman Brothers stuff. And, uh, you know, it's, again, somebody that grew up near Muscle Shells, Alabama, slide guitars, like, in my blood. Mm-hmm. I love that stuff. And when it's done well, I you know, slide's another thing that uh, that can be done and be completely horrible. Sure. Um, and then it can be done and be done right. And this is one of the times when it's done right. I think Mercury's a, an underrated song in this record, too. Not, not a lot of people ever talk about it and listen to it, but the music on that is fantastic. The mm-hmm. playing is great. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if the lyrics are necessarily special or anything, but you know what? It it services the song because the music's cool, and that slide work is, is fabulous. Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. The lyrics didn't matter to me because I was really digging the guitars, the acoustics yeah. and the, and all that stuff. So I'm not even, I don't even know if I remember a single line from the lyrics because <laughs> I was focused in on that. And I was just really vibing with that, that guitar. So yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Here we go. We're coming up to the final two tracks. The main event right here, a long December. This was the second single off of this album and 
their biggest hit off of this. I think, if I'm not mistaken, it reached number three or four on the on the charts. It didn't hit number one, but yeah. it did make it to three or four. And oh, sorry, number six. I'm wrong. So it reached number six in the United States and number one in Canada. So you got that going for you. But this is the song everybody knows from this album and everyone remembers because it to this day is one of their biggest hits. Love this song and guys, so good. But you have a connection with this song. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? So shout out to my dear friend from high school, Francis Becker, who her husband and her when they were getting ready to get married, asked me to play at like their reception or something. And I said, okay, what do you want me to play? And you know, they said, just play a little bit of all this, that, and the other. So I'm just playing my usual tunes. And, but they said, but you got to play Long December for us when we're like doing, it wasn't cutting the cake, but it was some like photo moment or something. And I was like, but but why this song? And they said it was like their song, which is weird. This song <laughs> is really sad. <laughs> right. But I was like, okay. So I had to come up with a way. I said, well, you know, this song, like the cool thing about this song is the way it builds together. And it's this this everything about this band so i played this at a wedding is the story that's the fun part so i had to come up with a way to do it now the other thing about this song and this is what i like to tell people if they don't know anything about counting crows i'm like if you want to know everything that this band is about this is the song you should listen to because every guy that is playing gets a gets a moment in this yeah yeah. adam's lyrics are as on point as they've ever been the melody is amazing and the rise and the fall of the song for a, for a ballad is awesome. I mean, it starts off just kind of, you know, we're just kind of there and we're talking about sad things and, you know, it's been, it's been a long week and maybe it'll get better. Maybe it won't. Life sucks. I don't know. You know, and you listen to all this, but then it just keeps building and building and you get those background vocals. And usually like, I think like the cop out of na 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 in a chorus is like, we just come up with anything better to do. <laughs> right. But this song doesn't need anything else. Yeah. It works. And I, I think what's awesome is at the end when they're all kind of together and Adam's just like, yeah, you know, and he's just kind of jamming out and it becomes this, I don't know, this yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah. No, and I'm talking about the, the, the meows. I'm talking about the, uh, 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 uh you know, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. All, all that stuff when everybody's just kicking and it's playing and Charlie and Dan are singing and it's, um, it's just so good. Um, man, this song is awesome. And when you listen to it, it's such a great way to kind of, I don't know, it's almost like signing a yearbook. It's, <sighs> yeah, been kind of a rough year, but maybe it'll be better. Maybe it won't. I don't know. I should probably go to the ocean sometime. It's sort of the, the <laughs> rambling thoughts of like, I'm really tired. I really don't want to work anymore. Maybe I should go do something fun. Or I don't know. Maybe I should just sit here and you know, watch television. I don't know. But I I can relate to that because, again, as a Gen Xer and as somebody in the 90s, like that was the, that was our whole plight, right, was that eh, nobody really expects anything out of us, and that's probably okay, and you know, and here we are. Yeah. And it's, it's, a, it's a song that is comfortable in its own skin, and it's about being – comfortable with the rise and fall of life because mm-hmm. you have good moments you have not so good and you just kind of got to ride the wave and go with it and man I, everything about this tune uh just speaks to me obviously on a, on a very personal level and it did to my friend too at, at her wedding which i you know it's hilarious and i've reconnected with her about that since i knew we were going to do this and we shared a laugh about it but I, yeah i love this tune man you know my favorite counting crows song is angels of the silences but this is the best song on this record mm. and it may be the best song they ever did it's definitely in the top five but if you made me you know, right now write them all out i'd tell you this is probably their strongest tune i mean it i don't know how you beat something like this it's their hotel california in a lot of ways i mean it's just a it's just a great masterpiece of a song 
It's a fantastic song. It's one of my favorites. You know, surprisingly, this one and Rain King are two of my favorite songs that they ever did. And uh, those two are the ones that constantly get stuck in my head. And ironically enough, the song that Rain King was stuck in my head all day today, even though I listened to this one at least twice today (laughs) (laughs) and uh, at least four times since we decided to do this. So why that got stuck in my head i don't know but uh, i agree this is just a beautiful song it's easily the best thing they ever wrote in all aspects of of the band and so yeah just fantastic and then we end the end it on a very short it's like just over a minute long uh song called walkaways but it's a nice way to kind of bring everything down and close the album out i think yeah, it's like the last thing you do before you're turning the lights off and you're walking out of the theater at night or whatever. It's the it's the end credits tune. I used to be annoyed at this song because I'm like, oh, this is just, you have a half an idea and you just chuck it on the end of the record. <laughs> and then my band wrote a song like that. Um, so, ah, so, there you so, go. so I lived it. But but really, I, I get it. I get, I think you've summed up exactly what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to say, that's all, folks. Good night. You know, and, and that's it. And it's just a short little statement. And we signed the card close and we're out the door and mm-hmm. recovering the satellites is over and I, it is. it's a neat way to end the record that at times has been really bombastic and loud and it comes off of this song that's just epic and then it just kind of you know says uh see you later go mm-hmm. yeah I, I think that's a great way to end it i i really enjoyed that everyone's here for that long december right and to come out and just do this little thing as kind of a hey thanks for listening you know come back again soon I liked it. I thought it was a great way to end the album. So there we go, Jay. We've talked about it. Recovering the Satellites. I have to agree with you. This is probably the best album they ever did. It's really good. And aside from maybe one, maybe two songs where I think about skipping it, I'm listening to this front to back. Yeah. It's that good. And I can't say that about August and Everything After, right? No. Uh, There's a lot of stuff on here I don't want to listen to. The big hits, obviously, are, are great around here. Uh, Rain King, like I said, is one of my favorites. And and then Mr. Jones. And there's a couple other really good songs on here as well. But there's some filler on here. And mm-hmm. so for me, if I'm going to pick a Counting Crows record now and my wife doesn't want to listen to it, I'm going to pick Recovering the Satellites. And I think she would like that even better than uh, listening to August and everything after. Because besides the three songs on here that she knows, and actually she only knows two of the songs on here, um, Round Here and uh, Mr. Jones, uh, yeah. she doesn't really care for the rest of it. So there you go. But uh, just a fantastic album. And I'm glad we decided to do this and not do the August and everything after because I think everybody knows that one so well. And mm-hmm. maybe they haven't visited this one again in a while. And I would recommend to everyone to pick this one up and and give it a listen to because I think you're going to really enjoy your time with that album. It's a great album, Brian, to put in when you've got a drive to make Mm -hmm. and you just want to listen to something and you don't have to fiddle with skipping it and moving around, put the thing on and just let it take you for a 60 minute ride. Yeah. And you, you will shortly not be disappointed with it. It, it, There's some really good tunes on it. On August, everything after I would tell you, go back and listen to the song Omaha. That's kind of my hidden gem. Mm -hmm. Love that song. Uh, Charlie's uh, uh, doing good stuff with the squeeze box on that. Uh, But yeah, um, uh, raining in Baltimore. Mm, Yeah. That's another good one too. Yeah. That's that one's in the same. Okay. If you listen to that song and you like that, you you need to give another horse dreamers blues a a shot because they're from the same place. Mm -hmm. Like they really are. If you listen to them, but recovering the satellites is, 
one of their most complete records. In fact, I think they didn't, it took them a long time to follow it back up. I think Saturday nights, Sunday mornings got, got back to where this was desert life and hard candy have some unevenness for me in, in their discography. But I think recovering the satellites is again, it's my go-to example of like, well, bands that did a second album that was just right up there with the first one. Mm. And in a lot of ways I think it shows growth and maturity and it's better. And it just has a great collection of songs on it. And man, just like those first, you know, seven songs mm. by themselves are amazing. And then you throw in long December, which is just an epic tune at the end. It, again, I called it their hotel California. I think it is. And I think the album is very much like that record was too for the Eagles. It's a, it's a wonderful record. Definitely worth revisiting. If you haven't, listen to it recently or if, or if you're new to it by chance give that one a spin it's, it's worth your time counting crows mm. recovering the satellites is two thumbs for me all the way yeah same here i can't i can't uh, i can't recommend the album anymore i mean it's just absolutely fantastic so you said uh your favorite counting crows song is the song angels of the silences it is. That is my favorite song of theirs because it is so different from anything else they did up to that point and away. And there, there was a joker in their end for years that the guys in the band told Adam, you can't write a fast rock song. <laughs> <laughs> and, or, and we, we can <laughs> But can you? And so that's what he came back with. And I mean, you talk about just a gunslinger of a song, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, they, they don't have another song that's a freight train like that. Yeah. Like even fun songs they've done, like Hanging Around and some of these other songs, there's kind of a mid-tempo sort of, the Counting Crows just have a pocket they live in. They don't do speedy songs. That song is a, is a NASCAR. It is a race the whole time. <laughs> and it's a lot of fun. And that's my favorite song. Now, the best song, though, is Long December. Yeah. No doubt. But my favorite is Angel of the Silence because I'm a, I'm a sucker for a good rock team. Yeah. Do you know my favorite Counting Crow song by chance? I, I don't. I don't. My favorite Counting Crow song is Colorblind. Oh, that's a good tune. That's, that's a good that's tune. That's my, my favorite. And I'll tell you why. I think the the, the, the lyrics and the, the tempo of that song just – they just – fill you with so much emotion right and added on top of that if you watch the movie cruel intentions and when mm-hmm. that song's playing and he's at the top of the damn escalator and she's coming up and she sees him and that's the build it's just like perfect right and yeah. so that has always been my favorite county crow song that's on the Disle- this desert life album which of course uh costs a fortune to buy on vinyl so i do have the cd but i also have the cruel intentions soundtrack which has it on there so i was super pumped when that was reissued and i picked that up just to have that song because it is by far my favorite counting crow song so i think that was just kind of a sidetrack conversation but i i it's actually it's actually a pretty good soundtrack to have and it brings mm-hmm. up another thing that we have bantied around for years doing that on film strip and yeah. someday we're gonna have to pull the band-aid off and do that so i agree it's it's a fantastic movie and you know stars are you know buffy sarah michelle geller's in that and in a completely different role from yeah. what you see on the buffy or anything she's ever done it was quite interesting uh to say the least but uh we'll definitely have to tackle that sometime because not only can we talk the soundtrack of that because the soundtrack is absolutely fantastic but that movie is a fun one to discuss as well mm-hmm. all right well that's gonna do it for this episode of tracks jay thanks so much for joining me again yeah. uh we have a great time doing this i hope you enjoy listening to the conversations we have and if you are interested we do post the video of this as well it's one of the few things that we can add on both the the youtube page as well as the the um 
the podcast. Of course, the podcast is going to come out first, and then after a week of the podcast out, we're going to put this out on video. So if you enjoyed the conversation and want to see us talk about it again, check it out on Brian's Vinyl Records on YouTube. Uh, Jay, tell us where we can find you these days. Absolutely. You can find me kicking around with the gang from Filmstrip Podcast. Uh, go to filmstrippodcast.com. you find all of our links to our episodes where you can download the show. You can follow the show at Filmstrip Pod on Twitter and Instagram and then Filmstrip Podcast on Facebook. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, um, I'm at Jay Skipworth, my name on Twitter. And I tweet a lot about uh, football, movies I'm watching, and uh, occasionally other random things like that. <laughs> it's usually, it's usually football yeah. and movies, a little bit of wrestling, a little bit of football, a lot of movies. <laughs> you know that that's what i talk about absolutely yep just fun and uh we'll be doing lots of cool stuff for for film strip this year so please do check that out and keep up to date on that uh we're on the instagram like you said we're on the facebook and we're on twitter and uh, we try to keep everyone up to date on what's going on so much cool stuff coming this year we relaunched last year and it's just been a blast so thanks again for joining me jay hey everybody thanks for watching and until next time keep spinning vinyl friends